Hey everyone, welcome. It is June for Black Clock Audio Tales. This is going to be wrapping up part 6 of Oz. We're going to have Patchwork Girl of Oz part 7 and 8 here. And then we're going to go on to some Algernon Blackwood. May know Algernon Blackwood as being name-dropped in Lovecraft quite a bit. And also The Willows. If you're not familiar with The Willows and not The Wind in The Willows, The Willows go into our back catalog and I'm not sure if it's under Black Clock Audio Tales or People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos readings. And check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos.com to check out all of our back catalog, find out where we're at on the internet, and what we're up to, what we're doing, mostly just this show. And also, you can find our shop. You can donate money, but hey, look at the show notes. Donate money to people who need it right now. I don't need the money as much as various organizations out there fighting the good fight, keeping everyone free, and stopping brutality. Um, you know what? You, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get all kinds of crap for this because I always get crap for this. Anytime I go off script and say something even slightly political, I get called all kinds of wonderful things. And you know what? That makes me feel like I'm doing a good job. And people say, you don't get H.P. Lovecraft. And it's like, you know what? If I don't get H.P. Lovecraft the same way you do, I'm happy about that. I will continue to say that. But we're not talking about H.P. Lovecraft. We're talking about The Wizard of Oz. And we're going to be doing two more things with The Wizard of Oz and Blackwood. And then, I've already said that, and then we're going to be doing Glacky for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And so stick around for that. Also, we've got some Articulate Warbling with Zach and Laura. And let's not forget about David Heath with his stuff with Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans. And we'll probably get some Dave's Corner of the Podcast uh, this, this month. And you know what? Probably going to hear from Ken Height. And I hope we can get kind of a supplementary extra episode on ghouls going on. If we can, we can. If we can't, uh, that's too bad. Well, let's get going with the Patchwork Girl of Oz. And remember, you can help the show grow by telling your friends about it, going to Facebook, going wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you like and review things. I just had a listener who needed episode 9 of Jane Eyre because she couldn't find it anywhere. I sent her a link directly to the Podbean where we had it. So, hey, if you want to follow the show on Instagram, we are People's Cthulhu Guide on Instagram. We are PGTTCM everywhere else. Just Google PGTTCM Black Clock Audio Tales. Here's some Oz. Chapter 20 the captive youp as they were preparing to leave dorothy asked can you tell us where there is a dark well never heard of such a thing said the tottenhot we live our lives in the dark mostly and sleep in the daytime but we've never seen a dark well or anything like one does anyone live on those mountains beyond here asked the scarecrow lots of people but you'd better not visit them we never go there was the reply what are the people like dorothy inquired can't say we've been told to keep away from the mountain paths and so we obey the sandy desert is good enough for us and we're not disturbed here declared the tottenhot so they left the man snuggling down to sleep in his dusky dwelling and went out into the sunshine taking the path that led toward the rocky places they soon found it hard climbing for the rocks were uneven and full of sharp points and edges and now there was no path at all clambering here and there among the boulders they kept steadily on gradually rising higher and higher until finally they came to a great rift in a part of the mountain where the rock seemed to have split in two and left high walls on either side suppose we go this way suggested dorothy it's much easier walking than to climb over the hills how about that sign asked ojo what sign she inquired the munchkin boy pointed to some words painted on the wall of rock beside them which dorothy had not noticed the words read look out for you the girl eyed this sign a moment and turned to the scarecrow asking who is you or what is you 
The straw man shook his head. Then he looked at Toto, and the dog said, Woof! Only way to find out is to go on, said Scraps. This being quite true, they went on. As they proceeded, the walls of rock on either side grew higher and higher. Presently they came upon another sign which read, Beware the captive Yoop. Why, as for that, remarked Dorothy, if Yoop is a captive, there's no need to beware of him. Whatever Yoop happens to be, I'd much rather have him a captive than running around loose. So had I, agreed the Scarecrow, with a nod of his painted head. Still, said Scraps reflectively, Yoop de hoop de loop de goop, who put doodles in the soup? We may beware, but we don't care, and there go where we scare the Yoop. Dear me, aren't you feeling a little queer just now? Dorothy asked the patchwork girl. Not queer, but crazy, said Ojo. When she says those things, I'm sure her brains get mixed somehow and work the wrong way. I don't see why we are told to beware the Yoop unless he is dangerous, observed the Scarecrow in a puzzled tone. Never mind, we'll find out all about him when we get to where he is, replied the little girl. The narrow canyon turned and twisted this way and that, and the rift was so small that they were able to touch both walls at the same time by stretching out their arms. Toto had run on ahead, frisking playfully, when suddenly he uttered a sharp bark of fear and came running back to them with his tail between his legs, as dogs do when they are frightened. Ah, said the Scarecrow, who was leading the way, we must be near Yoop. Just then, as he rounded a sharp turn, the straw man stopped so suddenly that all the others bumped into him. What is it? asked Dorothy, standing on tiptoes to look over his shoulder. But then she saw what it was and cried, Oh, in a tone of astonishment. In one of the rock walls that on their left was hollowed a great cavern, in front of which was a row of thick iron bars, the tops and bottoms being firmly fixed in the solid rock. Over this cavern was a big sign, which Dorothy read with much curiosity, speaking the words aloud that all might know what they said. Mr. Yoop, his cave. The largest untamed giant in captivity. Height twenty-one feet, and yet he has but two feet. Weight one thousand six hundred forty pounds, but he waits all the time. Age four hundred years and up, as they say in the department store advertisements. Temper fierce and ferocious, except when asleep. Appetite ravenous. Prefers meat people and orange marmalade. Strangers approaching this cave do so at their own peril. P.S. Don't feed the giant yourself. Very well, said Ojo with a sigh. Let's go back. It's a long way back, declared Dorothy. So it is, remarked the scarecrow. And it means a tedious climb over those sharp rocks if we can't use this passage. I think it will be best to run by the giant's cave as fast as we can go. Mr. Yoop seems to be asleep just now. But the giant wasn't asleep. He suddenly appeared at the front of his cavern, seized the iron bars in his great hairy hands, and shook them until they rattled in their sockets. Yoop was so tall that our friends had to tip their heads way back to look into his face. And they noticed he was dressed all in pink velvet, with silver buttons and braid. The giant's boots were of pink leather, and had tassels on them, and his hat was decorated with an enormous pink ostrich feather, carefully curled. Yo-ho! He said in a deep bass voice, I smell dinner. I think you are mistaken, replied the Scarecrow. There is no orange marmalade around here. Ah, ha, but I eat other things, asserted Mr. Yoop. That is, I eat them when I can get them. 
but this is a lonely place, and no good meat has passed by my cave for many years, so I'm hungry. Haven't you eaten anything in many years? asked Dorothy. Nothing, except six ants and a monkey. I thought the monkey would taste like meat people, but the flavor was different. I hope you will taste better, for you seem plump and tender. Oh, I'm not going to be eaten, said Dorothy. Why not? I shall keep out of your way, she answered. How heartless, wailed the giant, shaking the bars again. Consider how many years it is since I've eaten a single plump little girl. They tell me meat is going up, but if I can manage to catch you... I'm sure it will soon be going down, and I'll catch you if I can. With this the giant pushed his big arms, which looked like tree trunks, except that tree trunks don't wear pink velvet, between the iron bars, and the arms were so long that they touched the opposite wall of the rock passage. Then he extended them as far as he could reach toward our travelers, and found he could almost touch the scarecrow, but not quite. Come a little nearer, please, begged the giant. I'm a scarecrow. Hey, scarecrow. Ugh, I don't care a straw for a scarecrow. Who is that bright-colored delicacy behind you? Me? asked Scraps. I'm a patchwork girl, and I'm stuffed with cotton. Near <laughs> me sighed the giant in a disappointed tone. That reduces my dinner from four to two and the dog. I'll save the dog for dessert. Toto growled, keeping a good distance away. Back up, said the scarecrow to those behind him. Let us go back a little way and talk this over. So they turned and went around the bend in the passage, where they were out of sight of the cave and Mr. Yoop could not hear them. My idea, began the scarecrow when they had halted, is to make a dash past the cave going on a run. He'd grab us, said Dorothy. Well, he can't grab but one at a time, and I'll go first. As soon as he grabs me, the rest of you can slip past him, out of his reach, and he will soon let me go because I am not fit to eat. They decided to try this plan and Dorothy took Toto in her arms so as to protect him. She followed just after the Scarecrow. Then came Ojo with Scraps the last of the four. Their hearts beat a little faster than usual as they again approached the giant's cave, this time moving swiftly forward. It turned out about the way the Scarecrow had planned. Mr. Yoop was quite astonished to see them come flying toward him, and thrusting his arms between the bars, he seized the scarecrow in a firm grip. In the next instant he realized, from the way the straw crunched between his fingers, that he had captured the non-eatable man. But during that instant of delay, Dorothy and Ojo had slipped by the giant and were out of reach. Uttering a howl of rage, the monster threw the scarecrow after them with one hand, and grabbed scraps with the other. The poor scarecrow went whirling through the air, and so cleverly was he aimed that he struck Ojo's back and sent the boy tumbling head over heels, and he tripped Dorothy and sent her also sprawling upon the ground. Toto flew out of the little girl's arms and landed some distance ahead, and all were so dazed that it was a moment before they could scramble to their feet again. When they did so, they turned to look toward the giant's cave, and at that moment the ferocious Mr. Yoop threw the patchwork girl at them. Down went all three again in a heap, with scraps on top. The giant roared so terribly that for a time they were afraid he had broken loose, but he hadn't. So they sat in the road and looked at one another in a rather bewildered way, and then began to feel glad. "'We did it!' exclaimed the Scarecrow with satisfaction. "'And now we are free to go on our way.' "'Mr. Yoop is very impolite,' 
declared Scraps. He jarred me terribly. It's lucky my stitchers are so fine and strong, for otherwise such harsh treatment might rip me up the back. Allow me to apologize for the giant, said the scarecrow, raising the patchwork girl to her feet and dusting her skirt with his stuffed hands. Mr. Yoop is a perfect stranger to me, but I fear from the rude manner in which he has acted that he is no gentleman. Dorothy and Ojo laughed at this statement, and Toto barked as if he understood the joke, after which they all felt better and resumed the journey in high spirits. Of course, said the little girl when they had walked away along the passage, it was lucky for us the giant was caged. For if he had happened to be loose, he—he—perhaps in that case he wouldn't be hungry any more," said Ojo gravely. End of chapter twenty. Chapter twenty-one. Hip Hopper, the champion. They must have had good courage to climb all those rocks, for after getting out of the canyon, they encountered more rock hills to be surmounted. Toto could jump from one rock to another quite easily, but the others had to creep and climb with care, so that after a whole day of such work, Dorothy and Ojo found themselves very tired. As they gazed upward at the great mass of tumbled rocks that covered the steep incline, Dorothy gave a little groan and said, "'That's going to be a terrible hard climb, Scarecrow. I wish we could find the dark well without so much trouble.' Suppose, said Ojo, you wait here and let me do the climbing, for it's on my account we're searching for the dark well. Then if I don't find anything I'll come back and join you. No, replied the little girl, shaking her head positively. We'll all go together, for that way we can help each other. If you went alone something might happen to you, Ojo. So they began the climb and found it indeed difficult for a way. But presently, in creeping over the big crags, they found a path at their feet, which wound in and out among the masses of rock, and was quite smooth and easy to walk upon. As the path gradually ascended the mountain, although in a roundabout way, they decided to follow it. "'This must be the road to the country of the Hoppers,' said the Scarecrow. "'Who are the Hoppers?' asked Dorothy. "'Some people Jack Pumpkinhead told me about,' he replied. "'I didn't hear him,' replied the girl. "'No, you were asleep,' explained the Scarecrow. "'But he told Scraps and me that the Hoppers and the Horners live on this mountain.' "'He said, in the mountain,' declared Scraps, but of course he meant on it. "'Didn't he say what the Hoppers and Horners were like?' inquired Dorothy. "'No, he only said they were two separate nations.' and that the Horners were the most important. "'Well, if we go to their country we'll find out all about them,' said the girl. "'But I've never heard Ozma mention those people, so they can't be very important.' "'Is this mountain in the land of Oz?' asked Scraps. "'Of course it is,' answered Dorothy. "'It's in the south country of the Quadlings. When one comes to the edge of Oz in any direction, there is nothing more to be seen at all.' Once you could see Sandy Desert all around Oz, but now it's different, and no other people can see us, any more than we can see them. If the mountain is under Ozma's rule, why doesn't she know about the Hoppers and the Horners? Ojo asked. Why, it's a fairyland, explained Dorothy, and lots of queer people live in places so tucked away that those in the Emerald City never even heard of them. In the middle of the country it's different, but when you get around the edges you're sure to run into strange little corners that surprise you. I know, for I've traveled in Oz a good deal, and so has the Scarecrow." "'Yes,' admitted the straw man, "'I've been considerable of a traveler in my time, and I like to explore strange places. I find I learn much more by traveling than by staying at home.' During this conversation, they had been walking up the steep pathway, and now found themselves well up on the mountain. They could see nothing around them, for the rocks beside their path were higher than their heads, nor could they see far in front of them, because the path was so crooked. But suddenly they stopped, 
because the path ended and there was no place to go. Ahead was a big rock lying against the side of the mountain, and this blocked the way completely. There wouldn't be a path, though, if it didn't go somewhere, said the Scarecrow, wrinkling his forehead in deep thought. This is somewhere, isn't it? asked the patchwork girl, laughing at the bewildered looks of the others. The path is locked, the way is blocked, yet here we've innocently flocked. And now we're here, it's rather queer. There's no front door that can be knocked. Please don't, Scraps, said Ojo. You make me nervous. Well, said Dorothy, I'm glad of a little rest, for that's a dreadful steep path. As she spoke, she leaned against the edge of the big rock that stood in their way. To her surprise, it slowly swung backward and showed behind it a dark hole that looked like the mouth of a tunnel. Why, here's where the path goes to, she exclaimed. So it is, answered the Scarecrow. But the question is, do we want to go where the path does? It's underground, right inside the mountain, said Ojo, peering into the dark hole. Perhaps there's a well there, and if there is, it's sure to be a dark one. Why, that's true enough, cried Dorothy with eagerness. Let's go in, Scarecrow, cause if others have gone, we're pretty safe to go to. Toto looked in and barked, but he did not venture to enter until the Scarecrow had bravely gone first. Scraps followed closely after the straw man, and then Ojo and Dorothy timidly stepped inside the tunnel. As soon as all of them had passed the big rock, it slowly turned and filled up the opening again, but now they were no longer in the dark, for a soft rosy light enabled them to see around them quite distinctly. It was only a passage wide enough for two of them to walk abreast, with Toto in between them, and it had a high arched roof. They could not see where the light which flooded the place so pleasantly came from, for there were no lamps anywhere visible. The passage ran straight for a little way and then made a bend to the right and another sharp turn to the left, after which it went straight again. But there were no side passages, so they could not lose their way. After proceeding some distance, Toto, who had gone on ahead, began to bark loudly. They ran around a bend to see what was the matter and found a man sitting on the floor of the passage and leaning his back against the wall. He had probably been asleep before Toto's barks roused him, for he was now rubbing his eyes and staring at the little dog with all his might. There was something about this man that Toto objected to, and when he slowly rose to his foot, they saw what it was. He had but one leg set just below the middle of his round, fat body, but it was a stout leg and had a broad, flat foot at the bottom of it, on which the man seemed to stand very well. He had never had but this one leg, which looked something like a pedestal, and when Toto ran up and made a grab at the man's ankle, he hopped first one way and then another, in a very active manner, looking so frightened that Scraps laughed aloud. Toto was usually a well-behaved dog, but this time he was angry and snapped at the man's leg again and again. This filled the poor fellow with fear, and in hopping out of Toto's reach he suddenly lost his balance and tumbled heel over head upon the floor. When he sat up he kicked Toto on the nose and made the dog howl angrily, but Dorothy now ran forward and caught Toto's collar, holding him back. "'Do you surrender?' she asked the man. "'Who? Me?' asked the hopper. "'Yes, you,' said the little girl. "'Am I captured?' he inquired. "'Of course, my dog has captured you,' she said. "'Well,' replied the man, "'if I am captured I must surrender, for it's the proper thing to do. I like to do everything proper, for it saves one a lot of trouble.' "'It does indeed,' said Dorothy. Please tell us who you are. I'm Hip Hopper, Hip Hopper the Champion. Champion what? 
she asked in surprise. Champion wrestler. I'm a very strong man, and that ferocious animal which you are so kindly holding is the first living thing that has ever conquered me. And you are a hopper, she continued. Yes, my people live in a great city, not far from here. Would you like to visit it? I'm not sure, she said with hesitation. Have you any dark wells in your city? I think not. We have wells, you know, but they're all well lighted, and a well lighted well cannot well be a dark well. But there may be such a thing as a very dark well in the Horner country, which is a black spot on the face of the earth. Where is the Horner country? Ojo inquired. The other side of the mountain. There's a fence between the Hopper country and the Horner country, and a gate in the fence, but you can't pass through just now, because we are at war with the Horners. That's too bad, said the Scarecrow. What seems to be the trouble? Why, one of them made a very insulting remark about my people. He said we were lacking in understanding, because we had only one leg to a person. I can't see that legs have anything to do with understanding things. The Horners each have two legs, just as you have. That's one leg too many, it seems to me. No, declared Dorothy, it's just the right number. You don't need them, argued the Hopper, obstinately. You've only one head, and one body, and one nose, and mouth. Two legs are quite unnecessary, and they spoil one's shape. But how can you walk with only one leg? asked Ojo. Walk? Who wants to walk? exclaimed the man. Walking is a terribly awkward way to travel. I hop, and so do all my people. It's so much more graceful and agreeable than walking. I don't agree with you, said the Scarecrow. But tell me, is there any way to get to the Horner country without going through the city of the Hoppers? Yes, there is another path from the rocky lowlands outside the mountain that leads straight to the entrance of the Horner country. But it's a long way around, so you'd better come with me. Perhaps they will allow you to go through the gate. But we expect to conquer them this afternoon, if we get time, and then you may go and come as you please. They thought it best to take the hopper's advice and asked him to lead the way. This he did in a series of hops, and he moved so swiftly in this strange manner that those with two legs had to run to keep up with him. End of chapter 21 Chapter 22 The Joking Horners It was not long before they left the passage and came to a great cave, so high that it must have reached nearly to the top of the mountain within which it lay. It was a magnificent cave, illumined by the soft, invisible light, so that everything in it could be plainly seen. The walls were of polished marble, white with veins of delicate colors running through it, and the roof was arched and fantastic and beautiful. Built beneath this vast dome was a pretty village, not very large, for there seemed not more than fifty houses altogether, and the dwellings were of marble and artistically designed. No grass nor flowers nor trees grew in this cave, so the yards surrounding the houses carved in designs both were smooth and bare, and had low walls around them to mark their boundaries. In the streets and the yards of the houses were many people all having one leg growing below their bodies, and all hopping here and there whenever they moved. Even the children stood firmly upon their single legs, and never lost their balance. "'All hail, champion!' cried a man in the first group of hoppers they met. "'Whom have you captured?' "'No one,' replied the champion in a gloomy voice. "'These strangers have captured me.' "'Then,' said another, we will rescue you and capture them, for we are greater in number. No, answered the champion, I can't allow it. I've surrendered, and it isn't polite to capture those you've surrendered to. Never mind that, said Dorothy. We will give you your liberty and set you free. Really? asked the champion in joyous tones. 
"'Yes,' said the little girl. "'Your people may need you to help conquer the Horners.' At this all the hoppers looked downcast and sad. Several more had joined the group by this time, and quite a crowd of curious men, women, and children surrounded the strangers. "'This war with our neighbor is a terrible thing,' remarked one of the women. "'Someone is almost sure to get hurt.' "'Why do you say that, madam?' inquired the scarecrow. "'Because the horns of our enemies are sharp, and in battle they will try to stick those horns into our warriors,' she replied. "'How many horns do the horners have?' asked Dorothy. "'Each has one horn in the center of his forehead,' was the answer. "'Oh, then they're unicorns,' declared the Scarecrow. "'No, they're horners. We never go to war with them if we can help it, on account of their dangerous horns.' But this insult was so great and so unprovoked that our brave men decided to fight in order to be revenged,' said the woman. "'What weapons do you fight with?' the Scarecrow asked. "'We have no weapons,' explained the champion. "'Whenever we fight the Horners, our plan is to push them back, for our arms are longer than theirs.' "'Then you are better armed,' said Scraps. "'Yes, but they have those terrible horns, and unless we are careful they prick us with the points,' returned the champion with a shudder. That makes war with them dangerous, and a dangerous war cannot be a pleasant one. I see very clearly, remarked the Scarecrow, that you are going to have trouble in conquering those Horners, unless we help you. Oh, cried the Hoppers in a chorus, can you help us? Please do. We will be greatly obliged. It would please us very much and by these exclamations the Scarecrow knew that his speech had met with favor. "'How far is it to the Horner country?' he asked. "'Why, it's just the other side of the fence,' they answered, and the champion added, "'Come with me, please, and I'll show you the Horners.' So they followed the champion and several others through the streets, and just beyond the village came to a very high picket fence, built all of marble, which seemed to divide the great cave into two equal parts. But the part inhabited by the Horners was in no way as grand in appearance as that of the Hoppers. Instead of being marble, the walls and roof were of dull gray rock, and the square houses were plainly made of the same material. But in extent the city was much larger than that of the Hoppers, and the streets were thronged with numerous people who busied themselves in various ways. Looking through the open pickets of the fence, our friends watched the Horners, who did not know they were being watched by strangers, and found them very unusual in appearance. They were little folks in size, and had bodies round as balls, and short legs and arms. Their heads were round, too, and they had long pointed ears, and a horn set in the center of the forehead. The horns did not seem very terrible, for they were not more than six inches long, but they were ivory-white and sharp-pointed, and no wonder the hoppers feared them. The skins of the horners were light brown, but they wore snow-white robes and were barefooted. Dorothy thought the most striking thing about them was their hair, which grew in three distinct colors on each and every head, red, yellow, and green. The red was at the bottom, and sometimes hung over their eyes. Then came a broad circle of yellow, and the green was at the top and formed a brush-shaped topknot. None of the Horners were yet aware of the presence of strangers, who watched the little brown people for a time, and then went to the big gate in the center of the dividing fence. It was locked on both sides, and over the latch was a sign reading, War is declared. Can't we go through? asked Dorothy. Not now, answered the champion. I think, said the Scarecrow, that if I could talk with those Horners they would apologize to you, and then there would be no need to fight. Can't you talk from this side? asked the champion. 
Not so well, answered the Scarecrow. Do you suppose you could throw me over that fence? It's high, but I am very light. We can try it, said the Hopper. I am perhaps the strongest man in my country, so I'll undertake to do the throwing, but I won't promise you will land on your feet. No matter about that, returned the Scarecrow. Just toss me over and I'll be satisfied. So the champion picked up the Scarecrow and balanced him a moment to see how much he weighed, and then with all his strength tossed him high into the air. Perhaps if the Scarecrow had been a trifle heavier, he would have been easier to throw, and would have gone a greater distance, but as it was, instead of going over the fence, he landed just on top of it, and one of the sharp pickets caught him in the middle of his back and held him fast prisoner. Had he been face downward, the Scarecrow might have managed to free himself, but lying on his back on the picket his hands waved in the air of the Horner country, while his feet kicked the air of the Hopper country, so there he was. "'Are you hurt?' called the Patchwork Girl anxiously. "'Course not,' said Dorothy. "'But if he wiggles that way he may tear his clothes. How can we get him down, Mr. Champion?' The Champion shook his head. "'I don't know,' he confessed. If he could scare Horners as well as he does crows, it might be a good idea to leave him there. This is terrible, said Ojo, almost ready to cry. I suppose it's because I am Ojo the Unlucky that everyone who tries to help me gets into trouble. You are lucky to have anyone to help you, declared Dorothy. But don't worry, we'll rescue the Scarecrow somehow. I know how, announced Scraps. Here, Mr. Champion, just throw me up to the Scarecrow. I'm nearly as light as he is, and when I'm on top the fence I'll pull our friend off the picket and toss him down to you. All right, said the Champion, and he picked up the Patchwork Girl and threw her in the same manner he had the Scarecrow. He must have used more strength this time, however, for Scraps sailed far over the top of the fence and without being able to grab the scarecrow at all, tumbled to the ground in the Horner country, where her stuffed body knocked over two men and a woman, and made a crowd that had collected there run like rabbits to get away from her. Seeing the next moment that she was harmless, the people slowly returned and gathered around the patchwork girl, regarding her with astonishment. One of them wore a jeweled star in his hair, just above his horn, and this seemed a person of importance. He spoke for the rest of his people, who treated him with great respect. "'Who are you, unknown being?' he asked. "'Scraps,' she said, rising to her feet and patting her cotton wadding smooth where it had bunched up. "'And where did you come from?' he continued. "'Over the fence. Don't be silly.' There's no other place I could have come from, she replied. He looked at her thoughtfully. You are not a hopper, said he, for you have two legs. They are not very well shaped, but they are two in number. And that strange creature on top the fence, why doesn't he stop kicking? Must be your brother or father or son, for he also has two legs. You must have been to visit the wise donkey, said Scraps laughing so merrily that the crowd smiled with her in sympathy. But that reminds me, Captain, or King, I am Chief of the Horners, and my name is Jack. Of course, little Jack Horner, I might have known it. But the reason I volaplaned over the fence was so I could have a talk with you about the hoppers. What about the hoppers? asked the Chief, frowning. You've insulted them. And you'd better beg their pardon, said Scraps. If you don't, they'll probably hop over here and conquer you. We're not afraid, as long as the gate is locked, declared the chief. And we didn't insult them at all. One of us made a joke that the stupid hoppers couldn't see. The chief smiled as he said this, and the smile made his face look quite jolly. What was the joke? asked Scraps. 
A Horner said they have less understanding than we, because they've only one leg. <laughs> you see the point, don't you? If you stand on your legs, and your legs are under you, then, <laughs> then your legs are your understanding. <laughs> My, but that's a fine joke. But the stupid hoppers couldn't see it. They couldn't see that with only one leg, they must have less understanding them than we who have two legs. <laughs> the chief wiped the tears of laughter from his eyes with the bottom hem of his white robe, and all the other Horners wiped their eyes on their robes, for they had laughed just as heartily as their chief at the absurd joke. Then, said Scraps, their understanding of the understanding you meant led to the misunderstanding. Exactly. So there's no need for us to apologize, returned the chief. No need for an apology, perhaps, but much need for an explanation, said Scraps decidedly. You don't want war, do you? Not if we can help it, admitted Jack Horner. The question is, who's going to explain the joke to the Horners? You know it spoils any joke to be obliged to explain it, and this is the best joke I ever heard. Who made the joke? asked Scraps. Dixie Horner. He is working in the mines just now, but he'll be home before long. Suppose we wait and talk with him about it. Maybe he'll be willing to explain his joke to the hoppers. All right, said Scraps. I'll wait if Dixie isn't too long. No, he's short. <laughs> he's shorter than I am. <laughs> Say, that's a better joke than Dixie's. <laughs> he won't be too long, because he's short. <laughs> the other Horners, who were standing by, roared with laughter, and seemed to like their chief's joke as much as he did. Scraps thought it was odd that they could be so easily amused, but decided there could be little harm in people who laughed so merrily. End of chapter 22 Chapter 23 Peace is Declared Come with me to my dwelling, and I'll introduce you to my daughters, said the chief. We're bringing them up according to a book of rules that was written by one of our leading old bachelors, and everyone says they're a remarkable lot of girls. So Scraps accompanied him along the street, to a house that seemed, on the outside, exceptionally grimy and dingy. The streets of this city were not paved, nor had any attempt been made to beautify the houses or their surroundings, and having noticed this condition, Scraps was astonished when the chief ushered her into his home. Here was nothing grimy or faded, indeed. On the contrary, the room was of dazzling brilliance and beauty, for it was lined throughout with an exquisite metal that resembled translucent frosted silver. The surface of this metal was highly ornamented in raised designs, representing men, animals, flowers, and trees, and from the metal itself radiated the soft light which flooded the room. All the furniture was made of the same glorious metal, and Scraps asked what it was. "'That's radium,' answered the chief. "'We Horners spend all our time digging radium from the mines under this mountain, "'and we use it to decorate our homes and make them pretty and cozy. "'It's a medicine, too, and no one can ever be sick who lives near radium.' "'Have you plenty of it?' asked the patchwork girl. "'More than we can use. "'All the houses in this city are decorated with it, just the same as mine is.' "'Why don't you use it on your streets, then, and the outside of your houses, "'to make them as pretty as they are within?' she inquired. "'Outside?' "'Who cares for the outside of anything?' asked the chief. "'We Horners don't live on the outside of our homes. "'We live inside. "'Many people are like those stupid hoppers "'who love to make an outside show.' I suppose you strangers thought their city more beautiful than ours, because you judged from appearances, and they have handsome marble houses and marble streets, 
but if you entered one of their stiff buildings you would find it bare and uncomfortable, as all their show is on the outside. They have an idea that what is not seen by others is not important, but with us the rooms we live in are our chief delight and care. We pay no attention to outside show. Seems to me, said Scraps musingly, it would be better to make it all pretty, inside and out. Seems? Why, you're all seems, my girl, said the chief, and then he laughed heartily at his latest joke, and a chorus of small voices echoed the chorus with tee-hee-hee-hee-ha-ha. Scraps turned around and found a row of girls seated in radium chairs ranged along one wall of the room. There were nineteen of them, by actual count, and they were of all sizes, from a tiny child to one almost a grown woman. All were neatly dressed in spotless white robes, and had brown skins, horns on their foreheads, and three-colored hair. "'These,' said the chief, "'are my sweet daughters. My dears, I introduce to you Miss Scraps Patchwork.' a lady who is traveling in foreign parts to increase her store of wisdom. The nineteen Horner girls all arose and made a polite curtsy, after which they resumed their seats and rearranged their robes properly. "'Why do you sit so still and all in a row?' asked Scraps. "'Because it is ladylike and proper,' replied the chief. "'But some are just children, poor things.' Don't they ever run around and play and laugh and have a good time? No, indeed, said the chief. That would be improper in young ladies, as well as in those who will sometime become young ladies. My daughters are being brought up according to the rules and regulations laid down by a leading bachelor who has given the subject much study and is himself a man of taste and culture. Politeness is his great hobby, and he claims that if a child is allowed to do an impolite thing, one cannot expect the grown person to do anything better. "'Is it impolite to romp and shout and be jolly?' asked Scraps. "'Well, sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't,' replied the Horner, after considering the question. By curbing such inclinations in my daughters, we keep on the safe side. Once in a while I make a good joke, as you have heard, and then I permit my daughters to laugh decorously, but they are never allowed to make a joke themselves. That old bachelor who made the rules ought to be skinned alive, declared Scraps, and would have said more on the subject, had not the door opened to admit a little Horner man whom the chief introduced as Dixie. "'What's up, chief?' asked Dixie, winking nineteen times at the nineteen girls, who demurely cast down their eyes because their father was looking. The chief told the man that his joke had not been understood by the dull hoppers, who had become so angry that they had declared war. So the only way to avoid a terrible battle was to explain the joke so they could understand it. "'All right,' replied Dixie, who seemed a good-natured man. "'I'll go at once to the fence and explain. I don't want any war with the hoppers, for wars between nations always cause hard feelings.' So the chief and Dixie and Scraps left the house and went back to the marble picket fence. The scarecrow was still stuck on the top of his picket, but had now ceased to struggle. On the other side of the fence were Dorothy and Ojo, looking between the pickets, and there also were the champion and many other hoppers. Dixie went close to the fence and said, "'My good hoppers, I wish to explain that what I said about you was a joke. You have but one leg each, and we have two legs each.' Our legs are under us, whether one or two, and we stand on them. So when I said you had less understanding than we, I did not mean that you had less understanding, you understand, but that you had less stand-undering, so to speak. Do you understand that? 
The hoppers thought it over carefully. Then one said, That is clear enough, but where does the joke come in? Dorothy laughed, for she couldn't help it, although all the others were solemn enough. I'll tell you where the joke comes in, she said, and took the hoppers away to a distance where the horners could not hear them. You know, she then explained, those neighbors of yours are not very bright, poor things, and what they think is a joke isn't a joke at all. It's true, don't you see? True that we have less understanding? asked the champion. Yes, it's true because you don't understand such a poor joke. If you did, you'd be no wiser than they are. Ah, yes, of course, they answered, looking very wise. So I'll tell you what to do, continued Dorothy. Laugh at their poor joke and tell them it's pretty good for a horner. Then they won't dare say you have less understanding, because you understand as much as they do. The hoppers looked at one another questioningly, and blinked their eyes, and tried to think what it all meant, but they couldn't figure it out. "'What do you think, champion?' asked one of them. "'I think it is dangerous to think of this thing any more than we can help,' he replied. "'Let us do as this girl says, and laugh with the horners, so as to make them believe we see the joke. Then there will be peace again.' and no need to fight. They readily agreed to this, and returned to the fence, laughing so loud and as hard as they could, although they didn't feel like laughing a bit. The Horners were much surprised. "'That's a fine joke for a Horner, and we are much pleased with it,' said the champion, speaking between the pickets. "'But please don't do it again.' "'I won't,' promised Dixie. If I think of another such joke, I'll try to forget it. Good, cried the chief horner. The war is over, and peace is declared. There was much joyful shouting on both sides of the fence, and the gate was unlocked and thrown wide open, so that Scraps was able to rejoin her friends. What about the scarecrow? she asked Dorothy. We must get him down, somehow or other, was the reply. Perhaps the Horners can find a way, suggested Ojo. So they all went through the gate, and Dorothy asked Chief Horner how they could get the Scarecrow off the fence. The Chief didn't know how, but Dixie said, A ladder's the thing. Have you one? asked Dorothy. To be sure. We use ladders in our minds, said he. Then he ran away to get the ladder and while he was gone the Horners gathered around and welcomed the strangers to their country, for through them a great war had been avoided. In a little while Dixie came back with a tall ladder which he placed against the fence. Ojo at once climbed to the top of the ladder, and Dorothy went about halfway up, and Scraps stood at the foot of it. Toto ran around it and barked. Then Ojo pulled the Scarecrow away from the picket, and passed him down to Dorothy, who in turn lowered him to the patchwork girl. As soon as he was on his feet and standing on solid ground, the Scarecrow said, "'Much obliged. I feel much better. I'm not stuck on that picket any more.' The Horners began to laugh, thinking this was a joke, but the Scarecrow shook himself and patted his straw a little, and said to Dorothy, "'Is there much of a hold in my back?' The little girl examined him carefully. There's quite a hole, she said, but I've got a needle and thread in the knapsack, and I'll sew you up again. Do so, he begged earnestly, and again the hoppers laughed, to the scarecrow's great annoyance. While Dorothy was sewing up the hole in the straw man's back, Scraps examined the other parts of him. One of his legs is ripped, too, she exclaimed. Oh ho cried little Dixie, that's bad. Give him the needle and thread and let him mend his ways. Ha ha ha! laughed the chief, and the other horners at once roared with laughter. What's funny? inquired the scarecrow sternly. Don't you see? asked Dixie, who had laughed even harder than the others. That's a joke. It's by odds the best joke I ever made. You walk with your legs, 
and so that's the way you walk, and your legs are the ways, see? So when you mend your legs, you mend your ways. <laughs> I'd no idea I could make such a fine joke. Just wonderful, echoed the chief. How do you manage to do it, Dixie? I don't know, said Dixie modestly. Perhaps it's the radium, but I rather think it's my splendid intellect. If you don't quit it, the scarecrow told him, there'll be a worse war than the one you've escaped from. Ojo had been deep in thought, and now he asked the chief, Is there a dark well in any part of your country? A dark well? None that I ever heard of, was the answer. Oh, yes, said Dixie, who overheard the boy's question. There's a very dark well down in my radium mine. Is there any water in it? Ojo eagerly asked. Can't say. I've never looked to see, but we can find out. So as soon as the scarecrow was mended, they decided to go with Dixie to the mine. When Dorothy had patted the straw man into shape again, he declared he felt as good as new and equal to further adventures. Still, said he, I prefer not to do picket duty again. High life doesn't seem to agree with my constitution. And then they hurried away to escape the laughter of the Horners, who thought this was another joke. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 Ojo Finds the Dark Well They now followed Dixie to the farther end of the great cave, beyond the Horner City, where there were several round dark holes leading into the ground in a slanting direction. Dixie went to one of these holes and said, Here is the mine in which lies the dark well you are seeking. Follow me and step carefully, and I'll lead you to the place. He went in first, and after him came Ojo, and then Dorothy with the scarecrow behind her. The patchwork girl entered last of all, for Toto kept close beside his little mistress. A few steps beyond the mouth of the opening, it was pitch dark. You won't lose your way, though said the horner, for there's only one way to go. The mine's mine, and I know every step of the way. How's that for a joke, eh? The mine's mine. Then he chuckled gleefully as they followed him silently down the steep slant. The hole was just big enough to permit them to walk upright, although the scarecrow, being much taller than the party, often had to bend his head to keep from hitting the top. The floor of the tunnel was difficult to walk upon, because it had been worn smooth as glass, and pretty soon Scraps, who was some distance behind the others, slipped and fell head foremost. At once she began to slide downward so swiftly that when she came to the scarecrow she knocked him off his feet and sent him tumbling against Dorothy, who tripped up Ojo. The boy fell against the horner, so that all went tumbling down the slide in a regular mix-up, unable to see where they were going because of the darkness. Fortunately, when they reached the bottom, the scarecrow and Scraps were in front, and the others bumped against them so that no one was hurt. They found themselves in a vast cave, which was dimly lighted by the tiny grains of radium that lay scattered among the loose rocks. Now said Dixie, when they had all regained their feet. I will show you where the dark well is. This is a big place, but if we hold fast to each other we won't get lost. They took hold of hands, and the horner led them into a dark corner where he halted. Be careful, said he warningly. The well is at your feet. All right, replied Ojo, and kneeling down he felt in the well with his hand and found that it contained a quantity of water. "'Where's the gold flask, Dorothy?' he asked, and the little girl handed him the flask, which she had brought with her. Ojo knelt again, and by feeling carefully in the dark, managed to fill the flask with the unseen water that was in the well. Then he screwed the top of the flask firmly in place, and put the precious water in his pocket. "'All right!' he said again in a glad voice. Now we can go back. 
they returned to the mouth of the tunnel and began to creep cautiously up the incline. This time they made Scraps stay behind for fear she would slip again, but they all managed to get up in safety, and the Munchkin boy was very happy when he stood in the Horner City and realized that the water from the dark well, which he and his friends had traveled so far to secure, was safe in his jacket pocket. End of chapter 24